0: So, welcome to this episode of Hangout with Sujata, and today uh, my guest is Janice, and uh, I am eagerly waiting to hear Janice's story through her playlist. So, thank you for taking out time and hanging out with me. Oh, I, I, am endlessly
1: curious about how this is going to go. So,
0: okay, um, so I'm going to, I'm hoping to hear your uh, no holes barred or your secrets or your life journey through your songs. Oh, and well, you've come, you've come to the right person
1: because you be careful what you ask because I just might tell you. <laughs>
0: so. Uh, so I'm very happy that I've come to the right person and <laughs> with that I'll start with your playlist. Uh, the first song is show me the way to go home, okay? Mm-hmm. So let's hear the song first, then we'll chat. Okay. Okay, so <laughs> let's hear the significance of this song.
1: Well, I, it's funny. I had to find a recording of it because the, my mother used to sing it to me all the time. In fact, I could have given you a whole list of songs just sung by my mother on road trips and lullabies and whatever. And it's a wide array, a, array of songs. But this one, actually, they don't do the second verse, which is the part that I really liked as a little kid and was part of what got me fascinated in words and language. Um, because I don't remember the first time I heard the song. And I'm I'm also the youngest of six children and my closest sibling is 21 years older than I am. Or sorry, my oldest sibling is 21 years older than I am and the closest one to me is 12 years older than I am. So my mother was 45 when she had me, which in the 1960s was ancient and um some of my siblings were old enough to be my parents and so my mom was born in 1920 and my dad was born in 1917 and so i by the time my siblings left the house it was me and my grandmother who was born in the late 1800s and and my parents and so um my whole the the music i grew up listening to aside from what i heard on the radio and the things that i collected from peers was you know two generations behind me and Um, but anyway, uh, the second, the second verse of the song takes the same, it tells you the same information, but it tells you in big words. So it, instead of showing me, show me the way to go home, it's indicate the way to my abode. I'm fatigued and I want to retire. I imbibed a small elixir 60 minutes ago and it went right to my cerebellum. Wherever I may perambulate over terra or firma or phosphate you will audibly recognize this melody indicate the way to my abode and so it was like normal words and then these really big words which i think probably contributed to the to the the fact that my favorite word when i was 3, year, three years old was incognito because i got wow. very <laughs> very interested in words and so um the song kind of is representative of it's it's sort of the anecdote of the larger list of songs that my mom would sing to us and um it also it's a fun song to sing i sang it to my son when he was when he was little and in car rides and um and it also points to that play of language and stuff that's very and that's just important to me but one of my cousins used to say that the the real challenge at my parents' house was whether or not you could keep up with the conversation at the dinner table. And so it, it part of just, it's just part of how I grew up and part of how my family thinks,
0: I think. So that, that's why I picked that one. That's, that's very interesting. So you were the baby <laughs> of the family and siblings were old enough to be your almost like parents. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next song is Midnight Train to Georgia, right? Yes. So let's hear this song.
2: too much for the man. Too much for the man. He make it, so he's leaving the life. He's come to know.
0: Okay
1: <laughs> Okay, so this one, mm. uh, this one comes from my siblings' generation, um, and particularly my second oldest sister, Vivian, um, who actually was the first one of us to pass away a year ago. Um, but this was one of the she she was teaching me all sorts of like contemporary songs to sing when I was a little kid, too. Um, and on top of that, um we were from i I was originally born and somewhat raised in georgia i was my siblings were all raised in georgia i was there for the first three and a half years of my life then in virginia when my dad was with the federal government and then back to georgia when middle of fifth grade through high school um and so it was always sort of associated any song about georgia was sort of associated with a sense of home and i also saw my first live concert of like a like of a big actual, you know, performing band was of Gladys Knight and the Pips at the Fox Theater in Atlanta. Um, I talked my parents into going, which was not their music. And it was weird that I was, you know, an an elementary school kid in the 70s wanting to go to the show. But um, then I spent probably at least the next six months after that really, really wanting to be one of the Pips. I really, really wanted to do the whole backup singer thing. And, and I liked all their synchronized movements and I liked all their, vo- their vocals coming up over Gladys Knights. And, and um, anyway, it was the beginning of sort of my love of that sound. And um, also too, her vocal range, so much of what I was hearing on the radio and other places um, was either too low or too high for me um i'm technically at the time i was technically a second soprano i reached a point in my life where i could sing from first alto to first soprano now i'm probably somewhere second soprano to come to tenor um but at that point in time i could also sing everything in her range and so that was really a a lovely um a lovely
0: piece so Okay, because it talks of, uh, you know, dreams not always coming true. So I know. Well, I, but the thing about it was, too, was that
1: re, the piece what I took out of it as a child. I mean, listening to it older, older, it you know, had a completely different storyline for me. But as a kid, what I heard was, well, you know, if something doesn't work out, there's always somebody that you love that you can that you can, you know, go you can go off on another adventure with. Um, <laughs> Yeah. I was a pretty opt- I was a pretty optimistic kid. <laughs> so.
0: Which is good because then yeah. things don't happen the way we want them to, then optimism probably carries you through. Okay. Yep. So with that, I go to the next song, which is Rocket Man. Yes. Okay, let's hear it.
2: She packed my bags last night. Zero out. Such a time.
0: okay
1: <laughs> okay so this one has a lot of things that tie into it um one i got my first stereo when i was 10 or 11 and my this was one of the first two albums that i that I got with it um his greatest hits album his first greatest hits album <laughs> and um I, it has multiple resonances. It, it's um, I we had left when we were in Virginia. I had been taking a particular style of piano lessons called the Robert Pace method, which from the very beginning start taught started starts teaching you not only how to read music and play music, but also teaches you how to compose. And so I'd composed my first piece by the, t- by the time I was seven and entered it in a contest and all that stuff. Well, we moved, like you know four or five years later. And there's nobody in Atlanta that teaches the Robert Pace method. And I found this ad in the Atlanta newspaper that said, wanna play Want play piano like Elton John? And I was like, yes, I wanna play piano like Elton John. And I tried to convince my mother to let me take lessons from this person advertising the paper. And instead she got me like an ordinary piano teacher, which like completely squashed a lot of my creative piano playing for a while. Um, but um so there's that piece to it is that i've always kind of wanted to be able to pour i've I've wanted to be able to play the music i hear in my head is different than the music i make when i play and elton john pours so much of who he is into the way he plays that i've always wanted to have it just pour out of my hands like his does um the other piece being or the other two pieces being that I also actually got to see him live, perform live in Boston um, in 1980, summer of 1982. um, Between my junior and senior year of high school while I was going to summer school at Harvard. And I went with a Greek friend of mine and his girlfriend. And it was just, it was lovely. It was the first time I realized that the music that I was listening to was being listened to in other places in the world because it was my my friend Anastasia was the one that was like I I got Elton John tickets you want to go I was like you know who Elton John is you know for some reason I had just not sort of my consciousness had not wrapped around the planet like that yet and so that was lovely and then the last piece is I love and I almost put it on the list I love Elton John's remake of this song that is out now called what I should have said and it's about his progress of coming out as a gay man and owning who he was as a person and not who people thought he was and or what he was good at, or you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should kind of a conversation, which is which is a conversation in me as well, is is being um as flexible and interested in as many things as I am. I have done things in my I've done jobs and and projects in my life that you know somebody needed me to do and I was good at it or you know it was
0: um basically you are like out of the box kind of a person I, I am an out of the and yeah. by the same token
1: it was not necessarily something I would have chosen for myself but I yeah. was doing it because somebody's like you're good at this go do that thing you know and um that and also my coming out as being bisexual that was a part of sort of in that same sort of vein of being able to um, say, you know, this is actually who I am. And, you know, and it was the same sort of arc. So I love that 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 in his lifetime, he was able to sort of bookend things because he's doing his final, I'm not gonna see his final tour, but I, I, I tend to see people once, I don't repeat very often, but, um, and I'm not a huge concert goer, but I love for him as a person that he went from being so sort of boxed up and unhappy to being, to being completely himself, and married, and with kids, and loved—you know—for who he is, not just by the public, but by people in his life, and I love that. Yeah, so,
0: that's you, all. <laughs> when you live out of the box and you have no hesitation in being who you are, it's very liberating. I say yes, yes, it, yeah. yeah. I agree. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So you did at least get to meet Elton John. I think that must have been- Oh, no,
1: I didn't get to meet him. I just saw him perform. You saw him. Okay, (laughs) at least seeing
0: him, that is good enough. Sometimes we don't even get to see, right? (laughs)
1: It's true, it's true. No, I was way balcony seats looking down over his keyboard. So I was happy I got to watch his hands
0: on the keys. Okay, so with that, I go to the next song, which is uh, Marlene on the wall. Yes. Okay.
3: Even if I am in love with you, all this to say, would stick to you? Observe the blood, the rose tattoo, of the fingerprints on me from you. Other evidence has shown that you and I are still alone. We skirt around the danger zone, and don't talk about it, leave me. who watches from the walkroom, my mocking smile, says it all. She records the rise and fall of every soldier passing. But the only soldier now is me I'm fighting things I cannot see I think I've called my destiny And I am changing Marlena all. Well, I walked to your house in the afternoon By the butcher shop with a sawdust dust room. Don't give away the goods too soon is what you might have told me And I tried so hard to resist when you helped me, Help me. Handsome fist and reminded me of the night we kissed and of why I should be leaving. My lady watches from the wall, her mocking smile says it all. She records the rise and fall of every soldier passing, but the only soldier now is me. I'm fighting things I cannot see. I think it's called my destiny that I am changed. The rise and fall of every soldier passing But the only soldier now is me I'm fighting things I cannot see I think it's called my destiny That I am changing Marlena on the wall And even if I am in love with you All this to say, what's it to you? Observe the blood, the rose tattoo of the fingerprints on me from you. Other evidence has shown that you and I are still alone. We skirt around the danger zone and don't talk about it later. And I tried so hard to resist when you held me in your handsome fist and reminded me of the night we kissed and of why I should be leaving. One man who watches from the wall, a mocking smile says it all she Put the rise and fall of every man who's been here But the only one here now is me Fighting things I cannot see I think it's called my destiny That I am changing, 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 changing My piano watches from the wall Her mocking smile says it all as she records the rise and fall my
0: by destiny that I am
1: changing my on the wall. Okay. okay. So i if you haven't guessed, I've, I've laid these out chronologically. So this this one is um I, I went to I did my undergrad at Syracuse University in upstate New York and so um when I finally got my own car to take to college I was doing my first road trip by myself from Georgia up to Syracuse and somewhere in the Carolinas I picked up a um a radio station like a new, new new wave radio station and um this song had just been released and I something about the the musicality of it I really liked and her ability to point towards difficult subjects with her lyrics sort of unabashedly without romanticizing them really. And um the literary reference to Marlena Dietrich as a photograph on her wall, you know, just, just lots of little pieces I liked about her lyrics. And I managed to teach myself, like make myself memorize the at least the refrain and her name, Suzanne Vega. i'd never heard of before either and i made made myself memorize them and and i was doing the drive in one shot and i and i memorized and i sang the refrain over and over over again all the way to syracuse so i remembered it and then i went to a, a record store and bought the album and i'd never sort of like immediately just like gone and bought music like a whole album of music for based on one song. I usually like listen to lots of things and I thought of and talking, you know, played with her for a while and I was very particular, but for whatever reason I was sort of driven to go pick her up. And then again, while I was at Syracuse, I got to see her perform. And her performance, something had happened and to the in the oh, I know what it was. We were seeing it in the small um like basement level of one of the school buildings. And she wasn't she wasn't big at that point. And the electricity had gone out in the wall where her amps and stuff were supposed to be. Anyway, she had proceeded to do the entire performance accompanying herself because she had only brought her electric car guitar. her acoustic guitar was at home. She accompanied herself for the entire the entire concert with a box of rice roni as a percussion wow. instrument. And then she did the rest of it completely, like on pitch, and it was really it was really something. so um, <laughs> so that's
0: my that's my my susan vega story okay so with that i go to the next song which is jody ryan eight ball right yes yes okay. let's hear it
1: okay okay so as i mentioned i'm from georgia i happen to be from athens georgia which was a big music town it still is a big music town but was a huge music town in the 80s and 90s when i was in high school and college and um we would go i was i, I i'm such a I, I was i was there at the very beginning of the music scene in athens to the point that um when we 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 would go listen to bands like rem and Guadalcanal diary and all these folks in these tiny little venues that like had one light bulb and they would like open the doors and we'd dance in the middle of the street and at one point a friend of mine actually was in a band called band 37 because there were only 37 bands in athens and there were only like three or four venues and so everybody knew everybody well the jody grind started because there was a there was a guy who performed under he was just himself he was a drummer mainly and he knew like two chords on a guitar and he performed under the title uh evening with the garbage man and he was playing some ballad tune and there was a woman sitting at the table closest to the stage in this tiny tiny little room and she starts to kind of laugh at him and because he's trying to sing and play and everything all the same time and finally he looks at her he goes you think you can do better get up here and so she happens to be classically trained, and so she gets up and she—that was who you heard singing was was Kelly Hogan, and she gets up and sings and blows it out of the water, and they end up becoming the Jody Grind, and they get a bass player and a guitar player, and, <clears throat> and they but the, they would do these big sort of tight musical numbers, lots of them sort of uh, classical ballads. Like did a beautiful beautiful rendition of. Um, a couple of songs from Porgy and Bess, you know, just amazing pieces. But their intermission performer was this giant, like six foot two, redheaded, for all intensive purposes, redneck um, named Deacon Lunchbox, who would get up and perform socially conscious poetry at the top of his lungs. And so it was this jarring experience of these beautiful, this beautiful musicality and this just right in your face really funny really really open-hearted socially conscious poetry coming out of this guy that looks like you know he's all the things you think of when you hear the word or the phrase redneck and um they just it, just the dissonance and the um the the just innate talent of all of them they kind of got this cult following in in atlanta and in athens and then they had the classic, um, like, like mythological end to the band in that they were coming back from a um, from a concert out of town, and everyone in the band except for Kelly and the original drummer from Evening with the Garbage Man, all of the, the rest of them were killed in the car accident. Oh my god! Including Deacon Lunchbox, this guy Tim Redenber. whose stage name was deacon lunchbox when deacon lunchbox died they shut down peachtree street in atlanta which is sort of like saying they shut down broadway in new york it just it doesn't happen it's like the entire city goes through that artery but they shut down that street and musicians came from all over the world and did a like a new orleans style parade wake music session in honor of him and the other members of the band that had passed away. And end of the story being um, when we found out that we were having a boy, um, we named my son Deacon after Deacon Lunchbox. So it's not particularly that song. I picked that song because it's sort of iconic of all of their work. And I tried to find one that had a piece of Deacon Lunchbox yelling his poetry at the end of it but i could i couldn't find one so yeah.
0: what a tragedy you know when talent yes. was just because of you know a life-altering moment you know
1: mm-hmm. well should... and it, it was really horrific and and the the strange sort of like cinematic piece of it was that it went back to the two original members you know yeah. it just kind of it's like time reversed itself or something yes
2: exactly and,
1: it was just it was like wait did we all dream that they uh, that they did this you know just so it was, it went, yeah. yeah
0: yeah okay so with that i go to the next song isadora duncan right yes mm-hmm.
5: Hi oh, yeah.
1: Okay. So yeah. Vic Chestnut is another Athens artist who has also sadly passed away. He um, he came later on in the Athens scene, or came to my awareness at least, and um, he's sort of the Athens version of Tom Waits as far as his lyrics go, um, and how, you know, he writes these these pieces of music that if somebody else plays them they don't sound the same because his voice is so weird um that he you know he, part of his part of his pieces are about who he is just by virtue of him being him um i also pen i never met him but like my brother-in-law knowing know him very well and and he whenever i hear his music it ties me into our group of friends that are all musicians um, some of them working musicians, some of them very successful other places, but also in bands and have been playing for decades. And And his pieces are the ones that, that, and his lyrics are the ones that we will often quote each other, you know, just a phrase or whatever, either completely out of context or in reference to a particular event that that has happened um, in our group of friends that have known each other forever now. Um, it seems like and it's uh, and so it's more the it's more the the ambiance of his music um, that uh, I think the two I think the two Vic Chestnut or the three Vic Chestnut uh, lyric lines that people that our group of friends quote the most are what is he building in there and um, I can't believe you in this attitude which we just heard and uh, Pablo Picasso was also an asshole (laughs) <laughs> which are all, which are all, um, which are used as like shortcut vernacular for for or short shortcut phrases for for our group of friends to reference different things. And so I don't know. It's just it it it,
0: uh, it bring it reminds me of my connection to all of them. I guess music is definitely an essential part of your life since childhood, right?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Fast car by Tracy Chapman.
4: anywhere maybe we make a deal maybe together we can get somewhere any place is better starting from zero got nothing to lose maybe we'll make something me myself i got nothing to prove you got a fast car i got a plan to get us out of here the convenience store managed to save just a little bit of money. Won't have to drive too far. Crossed the border and into the city. You and I can both get jobs and finally see what it means to be living. See my old man's got a problem. Yeah, with the bottle, that's the way it is. He says, "Body's too old for working." Everybody's too young to look like his. But mama went off and left him. wanted more from life than he could give. I said somebody's got to take care of him. I quit school, and that's what I did. You gotta fast car. Is it fast enough so we can fly away? You gotta make a decision. Eve tonight, and live and die this way. So, I remember when we were driving, driving in your car, speed's a bicycle like I was drunk. City Sitting nicely out before us, and your arms felt nice wrapped around my shoulder, and I, I had a feeling.
0: This is a favorite of mine too.
1: Yeah, I love this. Um, the reason I put Joe Norma Training, because I originally put I love it when you call me names by Joe norma Training. And then I decided for that period of time of my life that this was a better one. And then I forgot to change the artist on the list.
0: <laughs> so uh, this is what um, song the artist is uh, also good.
1: Yes. Um so um this is me in London, um, I wrote it into my curriculum that I had to do a try, I I, I wrote my own curriculum combining editorial design and theater design and technology. And in my writing my curriculum, I wrote it in that I had to do a semester in London. Um, So, so I'd actually had enough credits to graduate after four years, but I still had to fulfill that requirement. So my, um, I went to London, uh for a trimester or for semester and uh as it turned out my favorite professor uh the uh, Leonard Dryansky the design professor in the drama department at Syracuse was going was the faculty member that was going for that semester as well and no other design students went so he and I basically spent an entire semester going to plays eating good food and drinking good beer and going to museums and calling it school and it was wonderful um, And I had, uh, when we got there, all the students got there, um, the, we were supposed to divide up into, you know, roommates for, you know, finding housing and whatnot. Well, everybody paired off and there were five of us left that were like, you know, the island of unloved toys. (laughs) So so we had, and we were the strangest combination of people. There was um, me, and then there was uh, my friend Tanya, who was a sculpture major, who actually went to Car- Carnegie Mellon, but was doing the program through Syracuse for the semester. It was my friend Dick, who was from Montana, who was an acting major. Um, there was this guy, Suresh, who was a business major, who was first generation Indian American, um, had the complete body language of his parents, but sounded like an American sportscaster when he talked. And then there was Kevin, who was a white Jewish guy from South Africa. And so we were a very strange mix of people. But we found we found this apartment, two bedrooms, all the guys were in one room, Tanya and I are the and we ended up having the best apartment out of everybody because all these people that were rooming with their friends, they kept having fallings out and having to come to Well, it didn't really matter to and so we ended up all becoming really good friends and actually living together really well despite the fact we had a vegan somebody that was living entirely on hamburgers and hot dogs so, you know there was everybody had a different diet everybody had a different everything and it worked out just fine and our music was the same way and while there that's when i started through tanya i got um i got tracy chapman and joe norma trading and through uh dick i got the smiths and i I mean there's this whole mishmash of music anyway it all sort of um that and i really like the um in that particular in fast car my i really like the relaxed freedom of it there's a lot of songs about freedom and escape or transformation that are like hurling yourself through space, you know, and almost like you're running from something rather than going towards something. And I really like fast car because it's there's a there's a expansiveness to it and a and uh uh I don't know just a a more laid back you know this is the way to this is the way to go. Um anyway. Yeah from your share I
0: can see that why the the five of you who were left and not were because you you know you were all different
6: Mm -hmm. and
0: we talk of diversity and inclusion it's actually that you were you know you were actually discovering each other in every every which way while the ones who had partnered probably discovered ironically that they did not know those people as well as they thought and when you start to live on, be, you know, based assumptions and presumptions, then you see mm-hmm. that there's a huge disconnect, right? right? And that's how life is. So if you're accepting in nature and you're open to things, then mm-hmm. there's much more growth and, you know, evolution, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and all of those people that were living with their friends kept coming to our apartment. Yes. To talk to very. us about, to talk, <laughs> to talk about what was going on and upsetting in their apartments and trying yeah. to figure out why we were doing okay. And we're like,
0: <laughs> sorry. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? you see, we don't learn from nature that you That's know it. we coexist uh, exactly. with all our uh, differences.
1: Exactly, okay. well, and why why move to another country yes. to hang out with the people you were gonna hang out with when- Exactly. You know,
0: I say the same thing because why do you go and study abroad if you're going right. to you know, want to ha- be in your zone then don't yep. move out right but right. the whole experience is to gain a wider different yes. uh, different uh different perspectives you know so
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's like my I, sister when my sister moved to Egypt um the my sister Vivian that I mentioned who passed away last year she moved to Egypt 20 years ago and uh, to work for the American University and she everybody kept saying well well you know move to the move to the american part of cairo and she's like why on earth would i move to the american yeah. part of cairo <laughs> and, and she's like i could stay home and talk to you people i go to work and i talk to you people why am i you know exactly you <laughs>
0: yeah okay so with that i go to the next song which is uh, how do you pronounce it Sally McEwen. yeah yes okay let's hear <laughs> it <laughs> okay
7: to the peaceful early morn. He sold the souls of cycles and the men who had the horn. And they all looked very happy in the morning. But Jimmy didn't like his place in this world of ours. Pretty old man brought straw man man's and he had too many pairs. So I sad to see the grieving of the people that I'm leaving. And he took the all with knows in the morning. We walked into the station in the rain. We kissed him as we put him on the train. And we sang him a song of times long we knowing that we'd be seeing him again. It's sad to say I must be on my way. So buy me beer or whiskey because and I'm gone far away. I'd like to think I'll be returning when I can to fight we little booze around to Sally McLennan. the man. The years were fine and smiles were trying so good to be a man. I learned to love the brushes of Sue Sally McLennan. I took the cheers and drank the prayers and called my mom a in the I played the pump and took the hump and wore whistling down. I talked to birds and horses, threw them and drank the brown. I heard the sight of Jimmy's making money far away. And some people left for heaven without warning. We walked into the station in the rain. We kissed them as we put them on the train. And we sang them a song. Our ties long gone. Though we knew that we could see them again. I started to sing. So to buy me beer and whiskey, cause I'm going far away. I'd like to think I'll be returning when I can to the greatest little poser to of Sonny McLennan. When Jimmy came back home, he was surprised that they were gone. He asked me all the details of the train that they went on. Some people, they are scared to talk, but Jimmy drank until he choked. the they for heaven in the morning. We walked into the station in the rain And we kissed him as he on the trail And we sang him a song For time's long gone Though we knew that we'd be seeing him again sad to say I must be on my way So buy me whiskey Cause I'm going far away I'd like to think I'll be returning when I can To the great standing boozer And to Sonny McLennan
0: Okay. That's a very that's... up song. <laughs> <laughs> so, I
1: uh that's the Pogues. Um and I love their overlap of sort of a uh a punk rock style of traditional it's you know uh instrumental music. Um like uh you know fiddles and penny whistles and and things playing this kind of uh, uh, you know and I and I saw them for the first time. Well, the only time I saw them. I, I managed to find some of these sort of quintessential locations and performers like catching them at just the right location on the right day. And I saw them on St. Patrick's Day at the Hammersmith Odeon in London with a friend of mine. Well, at the time, a boyfriend of mine who was from New Zealand who thought that I looked like the lead singer's girlfriend. And that was why he wanted to date me. But anyway, we became friends later. But um, the, it, it was, they had the mosh pit and the whole thing. And it was just, and and the juxtaposition of first of all, their music and then being in the Hammersmith Odeon which is this beautiful venue. And then there's these people like slam dancing in the mosh pit, you know, and and hanging over the balcony and doing the whole sort of, you know, punk rock audience sort of thing and then the moment the the thing was over the moment the concert was over and we all had to get out to catch the last tube trains back to wherever we were everybody was completely very (laughs) very British and polite. They were like holding doors for each other and I'm like, wait a minute, you people were slamming into each other a few minutes ago. And then suddenly we're like leaving the vineyard like, oh excuse me. Oh I'm so sorry. You know, nobody's trampling anybody. And it was just this the whole evening was like, oh okay. Um but I like like I said, I love their um I I love the mixing of styles of music um when people do it well. Not not like with with the jody grind with their big ballads being played in a in a rock style or the pogues um so that's that's why i picked that one
0: yeah it's like the party was over or the the hangover people revert to their true style of you know what they put on actually maybe during the time they let down their hair and be themselves right but Mm -hmm. You're cold sober, you have to sort of put on a yeah. facade. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so with that I go to the next song which is Here I Am. Yes.
2: Okay. Here I am. Yes, it's me.
8: intellectual and emotional compatibility are at the very least difficult, if not impossible to come by. We could always opt for the more temporal gratification of sheer physical attraction. That wouldn't make you a shallow person, would it? I yeah. Just to Chrysler, what cornflakes are to post toasties, what the clear blue sky is to the deep blue sea, what Hank Williams is to Neil Armstrong. Can you doubt we were made for each other? Eli. little too late. I realize there are things you say and do you can never take back. But what would you be if you didn't even try? You have to try. So after a lot of thought, I'd like to reconsider. Please, if it's not too late, make it a cheeseburger.
0: Okay. It's okay. a deep song. And an initial <laughs> yes. song. Yes. And it's
1: it, it's he if you if you look at if you look at La it he looks he's he looks um like kind of a quirky country western singer. And his but his he has a his he's La Love It and his very large band. And he has a very large band. And um the one of the things I like the way he I like the way he and his I wouldn't even call them backup singers because he will trade off with them and he will let them take the high you know they'll, suddenly they'll sound like they're they're the front singer and he's he steps back um I also love his sense of humor and um and this piece speaks to me of uh I heard about why well, I love it through my friend Becky um, when she was dating my brother-in-law, my husband's twin brother, and um, and it, I always think of like the early '90s when my husband and I were <clears throat> newly married, living in Minneapolis, and um, and again, it's one of the ones that our group of friends quotes, um, because there's so many things in there, um, you know, like the uh, Neil Armstrong like uh, Hank Williams is to Neil Armstrong, you know, or um, and I and there have been occasions in my life where uh either sending me flowers or on a you know on a card or something from my husband he'll say please if it's not too late can we make it a cheeseburger you know <laughs> um so there's a there's a um quirky romance to the song that i really like and a lot of his a lot of Lyle Lovett's music is that way but you know he just he, he takes a twist on things. He takes like a, a what might traditionally even be like a, a smaltzy country-western song and puts this weird twist on it and then puts this big, big band sound behind it. And anyway, it's just, again, it's that mix of, of sounds <laughs> that I like.
0: Yeah, it's, a, you have an interesting, uh, you know, interesting characteristics according to your bio, which I will come to later. So... <laughs> you know the songs are also quite different well okay, and so. i didn't even go into the classical genre because i could have like gone way yeah. off
1: the depend pendant in that way but i was like i'm just going to try and stay, you know <laughs> things you can sing along to with lyrics that'll probably be better
0: okay so with that uh, i'm going to the next song banish misfortune
2: yes
1: Okay, so I said that there was going to, I picked ones with lyrics, except for that one. Um, that one is, um, I had, like, I want to say 88, 89, 90, somewhere before or after we got married. My husband handed me, I'd never played a string. I would played a stringed instrument a little bit, a little viola in, like, elementary school, but I had never played, uh, like, a guitar or a mandolin or anything. And he gave he had this little pine mandolin that he handed me, and my husband's a classical guitar player, and he said, and he and because I can pick songs out of the, I can I can pull songs out of my head all the time, and I can match pitch, and I can do you know I can, I I, I think in music to some degree, um, the, uh, and I could you know noodle around and at least do one hand you know playing by ear on the piano kind of thing, um, he's like you need to try a standard instrument. And so he gave me he gave me this mandolin. And I was and I was like and his brother was a very accomplished. His older brother was a very accomplished mandolin player. And he had taught me a couple of chords. And and I was um, doing things like green sleeves and, you know, sort of traditional mandolin tunes and following tab and whatnot. And we moved when we moved to Minneapolis. Our our mutual best friend Ed moved in with us originally temporarily. And then he was there for like two and a half years um but ed was also a guitar player and he found out that i could play things by ear theoretically <laughs> and so he said i want you to figure out he brought me this richard thompson song which richard thompson is probably one of the most adept uh guitar and and uh he plays a little mandolin but he plays mostly guitar um but one of the most technically adept players that's still alive at the moment and <laughs> and ed brings me this this recording of, not this particular recording i couldn't find the one that he brought me which is the one he brought me was faster and and a little bit more technical and he said i want you to i want you to figure this out for you because i need you to play the melody line so i can figure out what the chords are and so so over the course of like a week and a half or two weeks he was he was after me all the time like every evening I was I was listening and he'd play you know he'd like play me that last play me that last 30 seconds and then I'd figure it out and then I'd have to add it on and add it on and add it on all the way through to play the song and um so I like I jumped from like doing green sleeves and Mary had a little lamb to, to to that and um and from that uh, first of all, it it kind of obviously upped my mandolin game, but it also um, led to a. To particularly Ed and I, my husband Reagan, not as much. He plays more for himself and by himself, um, but he fills in behind other people. But Ed and I did a lot more of playing together and and uh, composing some pieces and and uh, and just uh, like like when I over uh, over quarantine. For my birthday, Ed sent me uh I told him I hadn't been playing much. And he sent me a canjo, which is a tin can with a instrument neck coming out of it with frets on it, with one uh A string on it, and that's it. And the resonation happens in the in the can. And he sent it to me, he goes, You cannot tell me you can't play because you can tune one string because mandolins have paired strings, and so it takes a minute to get them all paired and lined up. He's like, you can't tell me that you can't play because you can pick this thing up any time. <laughs> so, so he's sort of that song always takes me back to him because because he's sort of the he pushes me to do the he pushes me to do the things that I love. He also was the person that pushed me to illustrate a, a kids book that he wrote, which we still haven't published, but still he He pushes me to do the things that I love, and he pushes me to push myself in doing them. and And so that's sort of what that And whenever
0: basically, I sit basically huh? he brings out the best in you. <laughs> yes, yes. and yes.
1: he he's a very he's a very good friend, and he he yeah. um he but whenever I sit down to play, when I do sit down and do my mandolin and play, one of the first thing I play is that song to kind of get my fingers wake up. And so that's yeah. why I included
0: it. Yeah, it's good to have, be blessed with friends who know your potential and, you know, who push you to be the best version of yourself. Yep. That's amazing. Yep. Okay. So with that, I go to the next song, which is the five stair steps. Oh, child. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Right up.
1: Okay, so that, okay. One, yeah. that one, yeah, that one brings us to our move back to the East Coast to Maryland for me to go to acupuncture school, and which happened to be we moved <clears throat> we moved here um, in in Ju- in July of um, 2001. So just a few months before 9/11 happened, and um, at that point uh, the and this is connected I'll get I'll get there but at that point um, the show The West Wing was um, running on television, and my friend Doug who was back in Minneapolis he's originally from Boston but he'd been in Minneapolis and he and I knew each other from working together at the Minnesota AIDS Project, um, and he was also a performer around town um he sent me a uh he he burned the well first of all with the west wing part he and i would call each other when the west wing was on and if anybody had looked through my window you would have thought i was watching a football game because (laughs) because I would, like, I would be conducting the opening music, and I'd be like, and something would happen, and I'd be ah, like, oh, you know, and he'd be, and we'd be on the phone to each other, like, yelling at each other, like, I can't believe I did this, I did that, you know, whatever it was, and um, so it was like this, it was like this, you know, sports event for us, and um, he sent me, uh, he, sent, he sent me a, a DV, after 9-11 happened, he sent me a DVD of music, which had, um a couple of songs that well like uh the jackal which is performed by one of the actresses on on the west wing at one point and um or lip synced and there but it had a bunch of other songs on it too um that he just they made him think of me and and it was to sort of cheer me up and whatnot because i was telling him you know <clears throat> at that point we were seeing more helicopters in the sky than birds you know and um and there's something quintessentially hopeful about about that song anyway um but adding on top of it him sending it to me right after 9 11 and adding it on top of it coming particularly from my friend Doug who is one of the few people in the world that can make me laugh so hard I can't breathe um I don't know it's just it's whenever I have a if I have a bad day or if I'm feeling particularly discouraged about something um because of all of those associations that that song will pick me right back up so
0: yeah, your shares are very interesting because you know you share about people who make differences and yeah. i like this about making you laugh because i am prone to say that i don't have a funny bone but there are a few people, very few who can make me laugh, you know, and that's a rare quality, you know, for somebody who's not the laughing sorts, you know, if you find somebody who can make you laugh. Yeah. So that's awesome. Well, share.
1: well I'm very I, I'm 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 fairly adept at making other people laugh. Yes, but it's but it's rare that I actually flat. Out, I mean, I'll be like, huh, you know, but it's rare that I will actually have a full on laugh.
0: And Doug can pull one out of me in seconds. And
1: so
2: you
0: have, yeah. a very, you have a very nice, open, white, smiling countenance. I have to say that. So Thank you. I think um, if not laugh, people looking at you or having a conversation with you will automatically smile, be smiling all the time.
1: Um, except that when I don't smile, when I'm concentrating, I look like I'm going to kill someone. So when I'm like, okay. here, so, here, here. So, no, here. <laughs> This is
0: this is the face when I'm concentrating. Okay, but that's, not, you know, to some, maybe you may be at that moment intimidating, but you know, yes. we have, <laughs> But you I, know, understand. We have, I understand because, <laughs> you know, we have our moments when we look or uh, present ourselves yes. according to what people are seeing. I You know, I always say, don't let people define you because how they are seeing is based on their ma- mindset. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. So we can't really say, this thing's so that Yeah, I mean, it's one
1: extreme of the. I, I, I'm pretty good at, at at extreme, you know, beginnings and endings or extremes of things. It's the middle part I'm not very good at. But yeah, I'm either like look <laughs> like I'm going to kill people, or you know, I'm I'm a very.
0: Inclusive but it's a good thing because at least people will not mess with you if you put <laughs> on the. It's you know, true. Don't mess with me, it's right? True. Yeah,
1: it's true. I I walk. I use that face when I walk through parking lots by myself in yeah. the evening. So it all works out.
0: Oh, okay. So with that we come to the finale. The last song, which is Abdi Galbi, right? Right mm-hmm. way. Okay, let's hear it.
1: okay so that I know it sort of took a left turn but that song is completely about my son he um when we first when he was really tiny they have these classes like music together classes where you take all these little toddlers together and they they all you sit in a circle and you sing songs and you play musical instruments and stuff and every time that they would she'd put on the the teacher would put on the music my two two-year-old son would hop up and dance all around the outside of the circle and he went and I kept trying to get him to sit down and play with the instruments and, and she, me, she goes don't do that don't do that he feels music in his body I bet he's going to be a dancer well we were at a we were at a museum somewhere and they have those these banks of cds where you can listen to music from all over the world and pick different cds and whatnot and he would listened to a bunch of them and he kept coming back to the one that this song is from, which is called Arabic Groove, is the name of the CD. And he's like, "I need this." <laughs> so we took it. We took it home, and I easily, at least once or twice a day, this or African drum music or the Lion King soundtrack were like our main background of his child of his tiny childhood. And we would dance together in the kitchen. And when he was ten, he came home and said, "Mom." I'm dedicating my life to math and modern dance. And um, so, and so I, and when you call around and say, I have a 10 year old boy who wants to dedicate his life to modern dance, people are willing to like change their entire teaching schedules just to get him in. Um, But he's been dancing ever since, he kind of gave up on the math thing. Now he's more of a game designer, physics person, but um, uh, he's been dancing seriously since then. And he's been—he's 16 now, and he has been at the Peabody, a member of the Peabody Boys uh, Dance Program at Johns Hopkins for the last five years, I think. And he, um, which is a professional preparatory program that you have to audition to get into and all that. He takes like six classes a week, and it's his thing. And so, um, but that song always makes me think of of, a little bitty two-year-old. Deacon
0: dancing around and and very few people at attend know what they want to do in life, you know, or come up with this thing because yes. people even when they enter college and all, if you ask them what do you want to do, they still haven't figured it out. So, yep. you know, he knew well, what he, he wanted. He
1: he was born about 75 and he's living backwards when we sent yeah. out when we sent out pictures of him from the day he was born. People we multiple people emailed back and said he looks so old and we're like he's less than 24 hours <laughs> <now."> <laughs> but like one of his first pictures was this like you i'm not done with you come here <laughs> yeah.
0: basically no basically what people don't realize is that probably he's a very wise discerning soul and yeah, you know yeah. and they are such souls and which you, mm-hmm. you absolutely
2: absolutely her,
0: right? And added to the fact that, if I'm not wrong, you homeschooled him, right?
1: Yes, I do. We're, yes. we're still homeschooling. Was yep. that an
0: easy decision? Was it challenging, or was it? Uh... Well, well, he was no, in public. It was it's not uh, an accepted thing, in even now, it's not like a yeah. dumb thing always to homeschool your child. In Many cultures right. and community, they won't even dream of it. Although, yeah. although I have to say this most mothers are always doing the children's homework are always doing their, uh, this thing yes. and so they are actually in a way the uh, the home tutors right mm-hmm. who don't get paid for yes but homeschooling is when you truly truly you know get into that mm-hmm.
1: well he he was in a public charter school for kindergarten through halloween of fifth grade and but starting we had done he had done a little pre k Thing. and then he had about a year and a half before he started kindergarten and so we did homeschooling because he wanted to, he wanted to keep going to school and so um we were studying there's a book called the way things work which starts with like inclined planes and fulcrum points on on levers and things and it goes all the way up through like space shuttle design and whatever and it's all done with these little mammoths and miniature people anyway it's very cute and very kid accessible and a friend of ours had given it to him and so he was the weird kid that was like sitting at the restaurant balancing his fork on the edge of the plate and saying there's the fulcrum right there you know <laughs> and um so he had, he kind of understood homeschooling already and then once or twice a year for all of the time he was in in uh public school he would ask the homeschool and um we're like, no, we're not gonna do that. <laughs> no, we're not gonna do that. Well, by the beginning of fifth grade, as my husband jokingly says, you know, he'd reached the size where we could not physically force him to get dressed without having to call child services. <laughs> and so, so um, we uh, we said, okay, let us investigate. It. Give us give us six months to investigate this. And so we looked around, and I even looked at some. Like some of the private schools and thinking maybe if i maybe if I agree to like do give that free acupuncture treatments to their entire <laughs> faculty, they'll let us let him go for free you know um and um and we looked at different programs and whatever else, and then we started looking to actual time, and we looked at how much time we spent preparing food, um wrestling him into getting to school, driving to school, dr- waiting to pick him up, doing the whole, all that stuff, and we realized that if we homeschooled we would get about 14 to 18 hours back a week of our lives and we're like that's such a bad thing and so then I'm like well if you did homeschool what would you want to do and he sat down and wrote me a list of 24 things he wanted to learn and I'm not talking and I'm not talking about you know how what's a caterpillar and you know I'm not talking about small subjects I'm talking about Latin I would like to be flu I would like to be able to speak Latin and read it you know, and, and and just these big huge subjects and we're like, okay, well, we have a curriculum now. <laughs> and, and so um he wrote his teachers a letter. He had two teachers in fifth in fifth grade who he had also had them for fourth grade. And he wrote them a let he wrote them each letters and said, you know, if I was just gonna hang out with you, I would I would do that. But I got things to do. So <laughs> thanks. It was fun, you know. And um and it's he's not that it's not that he's brilliant. It's that when he gets something, he really gets something and he needs to move on. But when he doesn't get something, he really needs somebody to arm wrestle him for about two weeks until he gets it. Because he doesn't it's he's not about he's he's very much not about passing the test. He's about like I need to know this. And so um so teaching the mastery is a whole lot easier to do in your kitchen than it is to than it is in a classroom with a bunch of other kids. And, um, and we haven't really looked back. It's funny though, because my husband and I were like, oh, and we're going to do this whole experience. And my son's like, I want to schedule and I want to I get up at a certain time. And want." And so, so uh, we finally, we finally broke down this last, uh, in January, we finally broke down and actually wrote real syllabi for his classes. Cause he's like, oh, I love this. I love seeing what's coming. I love that. I'm like, okay, I will do this for you and because of my university work i was i can crank out a syllabi you know pretty quickly my husband was like i don't want to do this And i'm like okay it's all because i do i teach latin math music and i'm sorry i don't do math anymore i do latin uh art music and he's also been designing a board game for the last two and a half years and i've been um i've been shepherding that along too and he's about to publicly play test it for the first time on uh, tomorrow
0: actually tomorrow night and, and you so. say that he's not brilliant if that is not brilliant then i don't know what is brilliance you must <laughs> understand but you're <laughs> talking you're talking to sujata and sujata has always questioned you know set prescribed formats in society so you know yes. the schooling and education system really needs to be relooked. as oh yes as we have i agree on this thing. there are so many children i know that who have learned much more when they've learned on their own Rather Mm -hmm. than school, they've not got the grades, they've not got this thing. So unless you have the right kind of teachers, uh, you know, teachers, doctors, lawyers, you know, I have to say this, they might hate me for this. But, uh, you know, the thing is that if it's to do with theoretical, uh, you know, practice and theoretical preaching Mm -hmm. or imparting of information, it's not real, you know, unless you can Mm -hmm. tap into a child's potential and actually teach the child to think you know we the whole curriculum is about learning by rote whether it's math physics chemistry whatever subject you take it but Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, uh, you know like what he did for you i think he not only uh, went into homeschooling he actually made you into a tutor by saying you know this is what i want (laughs) and he made you to design a a curriculum and you know the syllabus or what and how many people actually will know that they can even do that even right. you might have all the qualifications to but to discover that you could also do that because i think you are a person mm-hmm. who can do almost anything that you set your mind up on what i hear but uh, this one is something which your son made <laughs> you to discover and to do and see uh, this is called leadership at yes. a young age. So, you know who's the leader here and who's the parent <laughs> or child we could go into good debate question. Yes. <laughs> good question <laughs> Yeah. So that is uh, brilliant. Uh, now I have one question for you, because I really have to have your share on that. In your bio, the last line, if you see, you talk, because I'm an animal person, okay? So you talk about your opinionated cat, and what was that, the dog who's, you know? Oh,
1: who's, who's a, a, a Buddhist monk yes. who took a wrong turn at reincarnation. I
0: to, I'm very intrigued, and I have to hear a little bit about that. <laughs> okay. Before you go.
1: Sure, sure um so um we're my husband and i have had cats i had a I we both had a dog as a kid but we navigate towards cats and in fact some people say that the only reason we ha- i didn't have my son until i was 40 and some people say the only reason we had him was to replace our first cat who was our first child um <clears throat> when my son was like five no when he he was like two years old or so maybe three years old he, he he um he you know said could we get a puppy and he had not really shown any interest in dogs or anything really and we and we said no not till you're five um and then he never mentioned the puppy thing again he was like two i think when we had this conversation never mentioned the puppy thing again Didn't wasn't wasn't drawn to talk to other people's dogs. Didn't want to necessarily read books about dogs. You know, we did watch the the Kipper animated series for me, written which is about a dog, but but he's a very anthropomorphized dog. Um, and so we thought, okay, we're off the hook. And then his fifth birthday, he's like puppy, and he had been sitting on this for like three years, and. So through talking to him, through talking to a friend of ours who was a vet, um, and just what we wanted, and the fact that we lived at that point in a row house in Baltimore, where the first floor was like a story and a half high ceiling, and the stairs were in the back of the house, and they went the short way through the thing. So we had this basically very extremely steep stairs. That went from the first floor to the second floor, and most of our living space was on the second floor. And um so, between all those things, this is the dog we were looking for. <laughs> we were looking for a red dog with bare nine, a five year old contributed to this list, a short haired red dog with one white leg that was female, that acted like a moderately active dog outside and acted like a cat inside. So this and that had long legs. That had very long legs because of the stairs. So this is what we were looking for. So I spent a couple of months going on all the you know pound websites all nearby looking for these you know elusive dog. And I finally found two short-haired red dogs about an hour away. And I'm like, I'll just bleach one of the legs. I don't care <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> Look at this so, point. at so we go to meet these dogs. And we're on the wait list to, like, go talk to the dogs in the little greeting area. And we're explaining our ridiculous list of demands to the woman behind the counter. And she said, oh, I have the dog for you to me. He's male. He's got long black hair. He does, he's, he does have the long legs you're looking for, but he absolutely has the personality you want. And we said, okay. So we first went out to meet one of the, the first red dogs and or no we they, they were still waiting on the red dog so we go to meet this this black dog this black dog was tan on his nose and his feet he was about he was about four or five months old um and in in the pound you know how the dogs if you're if they're walking down the the thing they talk to all the other dogs on the way out not this dog This dog was like i'm going outside i'll be back and he just like and he's five months old and we go out and we sit down we talk to the dog and and we're like okay well let's meet the red dogs and we'll see so we put him back and we meet the two red dogs and the two red dogs were very much sight hounds and very much like super fast you know and they're like ball ball treat ball ball treat you know and and my son looks at me and he goes mama these dogs are too fast for us can we go back and talk to the black dog?" <laughs> so. So we get the black dog out again. And my husband, who did not want a dog at all, who is the serious cat person, sits down next to this dog and looks at me and says, Janice, this is the dog. And I said, Okay then. So <clears throat> we ended up naming him Valentine. Um, not because he was he was born near Thanksgiving in November, but we named him Valentine because my son stood in front of a map and spun around and stuck his finger on the map and there's a town named valentine in the middle of iowa apparently and found and deacon said oh that's perfect because he's so sweet so his name is valentine he leash he leash trained himself in less than 24 hours he um w- did not make a sound for the first five months that we had him five or six months that we had him and when he turned The one time, the first time we heard him bark was because the the elderly orange tabby would not let him into the kitchen. And he just went, and that was it. He let the UPS man walk into our house, all the way into our house twice. He's like, good luck getting past the cat. I'll be on the couch. He's not super active outside. It got to the point where when we would take him to play with other dogs, if one dog would start picking on another one, he would do one of two things. He would either get up, and monopolize the aggressor until he wore him out, or he would go monopolize the victim until the aggressor gave up and went away. But then he'd lie down again. And it got to the point where where the other humans would, if two dogs started messing with each other, like, don't make Valentine get up. He doesn't want to get up and come over there. But he's gonna come over there and he's gonna straighten you guys out. So just just chill. <laughs> so but he's always been, he doesn't make a lot of noise. He he his way of communicating is to stare at you we put we gave him to or we we left him with my brother-in-law who is sort of a dog whisperer people take him take their dogs to him to get him socialized he's that's not his job but it's what he's good at one of the things he's good at we came back to pick him up and he said i don't know what that is it's not a dog i don't know what it is (laughs) because he woke him up in the middle of night just by staring at him because he was like you look like you look like the guy I live with, but you're not the guy I live with. And you were not in the right house. And I don't understand. <laughs> and So he's just very, he's very deep and still. And now that he's elderly, he's even deeper. And still. in fact, actually, now that he's elderly, he's acting a little bit more like a dog than he has before. Like his tail wags now. And he actually like comes over and talks to you when you're on the couch. You know, prior to that, it was like, the closest to snuggling you got with him was he would like press his foot up you know his hip up against your foot be like dude i'm here it's okay but if we get if we get too loud you know he goes hmm, and gets up and walks out of the room so hence you know he, he, he pretty much he was we're pretty sure that he requires he requires a great deal of alone time great deal He he does like music he likes to be left alone with the music on and if any kind of water or snow or sleet or anything falls from the sky, he has to go sit on the por- porch and worship the water god. But other than that, he's he's Valentine, but he's not he's not he's the perfect non dog for us. But he looks like a dog. He's seventy five pounds, and he's and,
0: and also, yeah. So uh, I think you've not read my book, but in my book, uh, <laughs> I had I had three dogs, and I'm left with one. But I have one dog who's spiritual and definitely not really a dog dog. I sense that it's some spirit which has come in the shape of a dog. So I Mm -hmm. totally resonate because Valentine has evoked everybody to recognize that, you know, and not the usual kind of dog and across the board if people can understand his character. And he from what you describe, it's so resonating, like almost human like, you know. Mm-hmm. Now when he's old, probably he has to rely on his physiological things, you know, to get his message across because now the silent looks will not always work, right? So, right. yeah, so what, no, he what about your opinionated cat? Oh, our opinionated
1: cat well, she she actually is the person that brought us this house. Wow. she um she after our first cat, rue, was the one that that everybody said we had deacon to replace. Mm-hmm. um. Our second cat, El Rue, was an eight-pound black tortoiseshell, and she had to have a like she she had a chair at, at any like family gathering at the table. She didn't get up on the table or eat the food. She just needed to be part of the conversation. If you walked into the house, she she'd smack you in the leg until you talked to her, um, because it was her house. And Elroy, our second cat, was an orange tabby that was almost twenty pounds that we bought as a pet for Rue. <laughs> and she to the day he died, he thought she was bigger than him. Um and after she died, we had to he had to go out and find somebody else because he couldn't figure out how to be the only cat. So he brought home Oslo, who had been on the street for two years, who was um wasn't fixed. And so he that that cat had like the body of a dachshund when you picked him up. He was like felt like a dog when you picked him up. Um anyway, once they were gone once Oslo and, uh, and Elroy both passed away, we were like, we can't do we, anyway. and my husband. At that point, after Rue died, had actually carried her tag with him, you know, and occasionally wore it around his neck. I mean, he was that attached to this cat. And so he was like, I can't handle, I can't handle getting attached to another cat. So we weren't going to get another cat. We weren't going to have any more pets. Then we got Valentine. Then um, a friend of ours, a friend of a friend of mine, posted this picture of this kitten on Facebook. And I looked at this kitten and I said, oh my God, it's a gray version of Rue. Looked just like her, only gray instead of black. And same kind of orange to her. And I said, it, it, I, and so I, I showed it to Regan. I said, you just have to look at, he's like, don't show me the kitten. I don't want to show the kitten. It means I'm going to want the kitten. I'm like, just look at the picture of the kitten. He looked at the picture of the kitten. And he goes, okay, but if the kitten doesn't get along with Valentine, then it's not going to work. I said, well, then they'll have to meet, won't they? So so we get in, we get in touch with the people of the kitten. And, and they bring the they bring the kitten over. And the reason they were getting rid of the kitten was because they had three cats and two dogs, and the dogs loved the kitten, but the other cats hated her. And they had been calling her a little pumpkin because um, David had found her underneath a dumpster near his wood shop. And on Halloween. Which is why they called her little pumpkin. And she was like a week old. And um, she gets out of the carrier and she and Valentine are like, There you are. Oh, oh my god, I thought we'd never find each other, you know. And it was like instant karma, you know. And so I look at Reagan and he's like, All right, we have a kitten. <laughs> so we get the cat. Well, fast forward three years, maybe four years. I don't know how I didn't really keep track. Fast forward several years, and we decide that we're, um, that we want to move. We want to sell our house and we want to move, and we're looking for another house. And by this point, we'd sort of become strong acquaintances with the two people that we'd gotten. Her, we named her Ching, and she named herself Ching because I was studying Chinese herbs at the time. And flash, we were kind of trying to come up with names with her, and we gave up. And I started doing my flashcards. And every time I said the word Ching, she'd say, meow. <laughs> so clearly, it was her name. And so we, anyway they were they were like well you could buy our house and so we ended up buying their house from them and ching's voice had always been kind of annoyed with us (laughs) when she talked to us and she yelled the whole way over in the carrier but the moment we walked in this house she relaxed and her voice got deeper and she was like okay I'm back in my house. I've got the people that I want. This is where we're supposed to be. My work here is done. And so we live in the house. We live in the house that Ching brought. Well, and yeah, and she's very, it's very much her house. Again, it's much like Rue. It's very much her house. And we're really lucky that she likes us and lets us live here.
0: So wonderful. And you made my day with those stories because (laughs) I truly, truly believe in those kind of, uh, you know, (laughs) Uh, shares and I know that animals uh, are actually more wiser discerning more compassionate and kind than human beings are we only Mm -hmm. talk and preach but they actually practice it there's so many stories the the story that you just told you can see is supposedly cats and dogs are not friends but look in your story they just took to each other right as if they knew oh they will they will
1: one of if one of them is out and outside because our dog will valentine will hang out in the front yard or ching goes in and out if one of them's out and wants to be let in or hasn't has been out for too long the other one will stand at the door and yell at us to let the other one in see that's what i'm
0: saying so look at the way they take care of each mm -hmm. other and you know they are discerning we Mm -hmm. have a lot to learn from animals i mean that's what i always say animals Mm -hmm. and nature anyway Mm -hmm. we we come to an end to a session and it was a real treat, a privilege, an honor to have this conversation with you, Uh, Janice. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I'm sure the audience too will uh, be delighted. And uh, thank you for, you know, giving me the time.
1: Oh, thank you. This was really fun. Of course, you know, it always works. I mean, you have the the best plan. You ask people to talk about themselves and what they care about. And of course, they're going to tell you good stories. So Um, I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
2: Mm-hmm.